With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Ballard Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by... Our good friend from across the Pacific, and then you go across Asia, and then you come all the way back around uh, the Atlantic to, to a different island in the middle of the Atlantic somewhere. I think that's where it is, but uh, our good friend who lives all the way on the other side of the world, Luke, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great, Matt. Uh, how are you? And also, should I say for the record that the three or four members of the podcast, or sorry, the three or four listeners of the podcast who believe that the earth is flat just... I think everybody listens to the podcast probably believes the earth is flat because that's (laughs) the only uh, way that I'm a very dumb man. And so if I'm giving anybody anything interesting to hear about, they have to be uh, even dumber than I am. And I think that's the only way that works out. So I think it's more like, you know, 10,000 people are flat earth uh, people because that's how many listeners we get every, for every show, you know? (laughs) Also, I think there's a weird kind of correlation between flat earthers and people who think maybe the Houston Texans offense. Maybe or so. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, my thing I've been saying lately now with the Texans offense is that you think the Texans offense is good if your only frame of reference is the Houston Texans offense. <laughs> it's just if you want to be like super small worlded about it and just don't like – the outside world is a mystery. I shall not examine it. All I need is what's in front of me. Yeah, um, yeah you can, you can, you can get some, you can get some very positive, um, or you can draw some positive conclusions for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, you go outside and see. Oh wait, what's that? Oh, it's Todd Gurley. Oh wait, wait a minute, is that like three wide receiver sets? What are what are those? Never seen these before. It was unbelievable in that, during that Denver game to flip from the Broncos game over to Rams, Saints, and it was two entirely different worlds. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, there is, there is the Texans as like a middle-class team, and then there's the, the, the wealth and the elite way up there, and it's not even close when you look at the offenses between you know, those three football teams. Just how fast and like smart and how well they attack matchups how easy they open up throws and the talent they have and like at every skill position. And it was, it's super unfair. And we're, we're all like all of us who watched that Texans Broncos game instead of Rams Saints, you know, that's a, that's a tarnishment to our legacies. We'll have to carry that throughout our family trees. And we brought shame and ridicule onto the people who are going to come after us as well for watching Texans Broncos instead of Rams uh, Saints last Sunday. Well, that, well, that's true. But then again, we also have to come to grips with the fact that we've watched far too much AFC South football for, <laughs> our, for both of our own hats. Like, like, again, like the fact that we miss out on Ram Saints just to watch Texans Broncos and also the fact that we've watched how many Jags Texans games? Like, how many, how many times have we seen Blake Bortles check down to, T, to, to TJ Yeldon? 
or whichever running back is currently just revolving through Jacksonville right now? Yeah. No, the worst game by far is the Tennessee-Jacksonville games because those games are always 13-7. The uniforms are terrible. Like the one they played this year when both teams were supposed to be you know, pretty good in week three, they, had, they went 11 for 32 on third downs that game. Like each team punted 13 times. And the Jags lost like nine six, and like it shouldn't happen at all anymore. It's 2018, and you know it's postmodern postmodernism. Uh, everything's absurd, and to play a nine six football game in week three. Also, nobody could tackle or do anything right either. It's just so hilariously stupid. Yeah, I actually like to think of the way in which the AFC South has kind of gone this year. And the Texans is like that John Travolta gift from um, Pulp Fiction. Or yeah. just like standing around, looking around, just going like, wait, where did all the other good teams go? Wait, am I the only one here? Oh, no. <laughs> this is like standing there with his jacket and just like Blake Bortles is running away off to the side or something like that. Yeah, and then they go in the playoffs and somebody just shoots them with a machine gun when they walk out of the bathroom. That's the entering <laughs> the So that's the perfect uh, metaphor. So anyways, we're doing a show today because it's the Tyler Irvin – emergency he got cut broadcast episode and then we'll do <laughs> some bi-week thoughts just in general and then we'll give out kind of some silly awards for the texans and then also football in general too some real hard-hitting stuff like you know ranking our favorite rookie quarterbacks our favorite statistical quirks and then from there we may talk a little bit about the bye week and some plans and then uh after that i'm gonna go leave here and then record a, a week 10 preview uh, with another friend of mine. So we'll have a, a lot of podcasts this weekend for you while you, you have pumpkin patch pit or man, that's a hard thing to say. Pumpkin patch pick, uh, nose, nose patch picks, whatever you're going to do this weekend, you'll have like three hours of blog talk radio to listen to actually probably two. We're going to keep it to two, but you'll have two hours to listen to this weekend. That was some very, very fancy alliteration. Right, Matthew. Pumpkin patch pick. I'm, I'm just so bad at talking. So, anyways, like my, my big question for you right now, and I guess it's kind of a question I've been asking every Texans fan that I meet and that I know, uh, even the ones that I don't care about their opinion of at all, like some of the people in some group texts I'm in. I've asked them the same question, though, is what is the biggest reason why the Texans went from 0-3 to 6-3? Yeah, well, before that, we all have to uh, pay our respects to both Tyler Urban and the mythical edge position in which he was supposed to play three seasons ago. Um, <laughs> rip those two. Um, the biggest, I, again, I don't think it's, you're going to find any singular focus just like, oh, this is the one thing that happened that kind of shifted the fortunes of Texans. Again, I think it's been kind of a menagerie of different things. Um, you, I think the first three weeks, the Texans kind of caught it rough. Like the, the start against the Patriots was never going to be good. Um, and I think the, the loss as a whole just hit, hit, hit the team quite hard. And I think hit the conceptualization of just, oh, we thought we were going to be a little bit better than this. And then the Patriots come in and make you feel like, like poop. Um, it's, it's kind of one of those things that I think it took a week to kind of recover from that. And the fact that the offensive line as a whole was just, capitulating straight there so all of the stuff that you would kind of expect to happen from last year in which case Deshaun Watson would have time to throw you'd be able to pick it you would be able to pick passes a lot easier that stuff just wasn't happening mm-hmm. um now there are a couple of different reasons that I could kind of point to and say kind of need to orientate back to what has worked in the past and 
weirdly enough, by regression, he's actually progressed um, the team's fortunes. Um, so he's he's brought. I'm I'm essentially thinking it like thinking of it like he's brought it back to what he didn't want to bring it towards, uh, which is a really weird concept. But think about it, think about it like this: Deshaun for the first um, five games of the season, Deshaun Watson threw over thirty passes in each of those first five games. Two of them, the Texans won. Three of them, they lost. Past four games in which the Texans have all won, and Deshaun Watson has thrown nine touchdowns and two interceptions. He hasn't passed twenty-five. Or sorry, he hasn't thrown twenty-five passes in those four games. There is a, definitely a kind of reconceptualization of what the offensive flow should be. I think Bill O'Brien's kind of realized, okay, the run game has to be placed a lot more to the fore, just so it actually creates play action opportunities which are a little bit more credible so you can actually buy time for quarterback you have to do the thing that he's really good at which is get outside of the pocket and make plays and make these those throws um that kind of, and like there have been a bunch of different elements which have kind of coexisted around that the fact that you've had will fuller healthy the fact that you jinx um the fact that the fact that you had will fuller healthy um the fact that you had kiki kuti's emergence you had jordan thomas appearing also and DeAndre Hopkins being as really good as he, as he always is, the team was always really, really talented. It's just all of those factors and all of those pieces never kind of like coalesced together to create some kind of coherency. And the fact that they all kind of got together for a sustained period of time was like, okay, if we put all these things together, there's a chance here that this team is actually too talented to really, like there's a threshold of how bad it can get. And I think they kind of they've they've shown that they've reached that over the past couple of weeks. Um, I think some of the one or two score games could have been a bit could have been a bit more of a comfortable margin. But then again, that's a few other issues that Bill O'Brien I think is supposed to kind of figure out. As a whole, I think the team has like that's that's kind of the good things to focus on, which is Bill O'Brien's mature. Bill O'Brien has like noticed what's gone wrong with the team, and he's gone about and tried to correct it and successfully done so in a bunch of different situations. The other point here on this, and if you're being a pessimist about this, you can look at the quarterbacks in the seconds of play during the time and you can say, oh dear God, what have they played? This this is giving me flashbacks to watching uh, like 2014, whenever Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mallett were in a death grip for the Texans <laughs> quarterback position. Like, let's put it in this context. You had Josh Allen, who was in his second career start. You had Dak Prescott, who was like in a weird, weird kind of funk. And if I can look the numbers for that game, I think his passer rating was quite low. I think it took uh-huh. like 192 yards that game too. Yeah, and it, it was so weird because the next week later, he went on and dropped 40, and he was part of the Dallas Cowboys team that put 40 points on the um, – on the Jaguars. And I think he threw like 186 yards in that game as well. It was like the Mitchell Trubisky stat line where he threw yeah, for exactly. like 170 yards and scored 40 points somehow. Exactly. So like Pres- Prescott in the Texas game was 18 to 29 for 208, um, one touchdown, two interceptions, and a rating of 66.5. It's, it's not exactly great. Like, let's, let's not lie to ourselves. Texans have not been playing good quarterbacks. Um, and you can and you can kind of just summarize that down. Well, they're beating they're beating bad quarterbacks, and in a league you in this league you kind of take whatever wins you can come by. Yeah, you can, and that's all well and good. The AFC South is literally built upon can you beat bad teams? 
Um, and the Texans are kind of living up to the, yeah, we can, we can, we can do that. Um, whether or not they can actually be good against other teams, uh, teams with better quarterbacks, better offensive systems, um, better ways of attacking defenses, uh, remains to be seen. Um, I should also state the fact that they um, also beat Nathan Peterman, or actually Nathan Peterman won them the game. Um, I love Nathan Peterman so much. That guy is uh, well, like one of the most resounding things. I'm go- I'm going to try and find the quote that he had post Texans game, which was like the most defeatist thing you'd ever heard in your entire life. Like he, he like it is somebody that had kind of just he had come cl- like face to face with death and was okay with his own mortality. It was just like I'm cool with this. I'm ready to just live out the rest of my days. It's just like I'm done. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Where he had a, he played. He played so bad, he had to talk himself back into believing in God. That's how low it was. <laughs> Just like, there is, there, like there's a reason for all this, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. But it was just so fantastic. And then, of course, uh, the game against Miami, which uh, you can't obviously reference the quarterback that they played that game. All I, all I will say is that I watched the, pre, the previous two games that he played against Chicago and Detroit, and that made my eyes bled. Lead, I should say. Um, it's it's really kind of weird the fact that when you consider the fact that Texans also, Texans also played Eli Manning, that they didn't win that game. Also, um, they should probably be seven and two, but that's uh, that's, that's a different case. But yeah, like they played they played bad teams, but they've won. Mm-hmm. So they're going to make the playoffs. But are they a good team? I don't think there's like there, there, there's a weird confidence there. Um, and I, like, I should also mention on the defensive side, uh, Romeo Cornell's made it really, really, really uh, he's done really well kind of readjusting to some of the stuff that he did well before Vrabel was in charge. So he's from a, a, a blitz, or sorry, a gap blitzes. He's actually got really good safeties, which are um, a big, big important part of her four. He's still giving up a, sh- a lot of easy short throws, but the Texans rating against the deep ball uh, in particular is actually very, very good. Or sorry, is reasonably good. Um, they rank 12th amongst all teams in deep passes percentage according to Football Outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, alternatively, you could look at that and say they're 28th against the short pass, which is understandable because cover I mean, four. A, that's a much better world to live in too, where you're better, you're better against the deep ball than the short passes, especially with like the type of offense that they have. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, I will. I will make the point. The short sentence then is first of the counter to it is that um, deep, like deep ball, deep ball passes as a whole are think you think about it in terms of basketball and uh, three, the three point shot. Now, well, the three point shot is like ridiculously common now. A couple of years ago, and like a couple of maybe decades ago, we would look at it as being a low percentage look, something which doesn't really happen that often. It's not really a bankable kind of thing. Just like, hey, we, we're going to drop a possession or we're going to drop a play, which is going to get this specific look, which might be, say, a 20 to 30% chance of success. Whereas if we drop a look that it's got for a five-hour the chances of success on that are incrementally higher because it's less, less distance that the ball has to be thrown and closer receiver, essentially, it's a lot easier. So you might be looking at 50, 60% chance. So... In my head, I kind of rationalize it like that. Like, sure, it's great to reduce the amount of deep balls that you're, cons- that you're conceding, but you're conceding. You're, but you're sorry. You're proactively trying to stop a, something which 
is a rarity as a as a whole. It might only happen one in four, like it might only happen maybe uh, 10, 15% of the time, maybe even less than that. So you're what you're doing there, what you're doing there is you're prioritizing that over the 50%, 50 or 60% look, which will give the offense five or six yards every single time. Mm-hmm. Like if you so think think about it in terms of screen passes and short yardage short yardage routes like curls slants outs which a receiver can catch the ball and get up the field with the cover four system that the texans play they play off man so if they catch the ball short they're not there's not like what the, what the receivers are or sorry what the cornerbacks are essentially taught to do is read the man crash on the ball so when the, when the man essentially turns on like say a curl route returns for an out route the, the corners are essentially supposed to crash on them. They're supposed to close as fast as they can. That's all well and good when you, until you see the fact that your corners are Sharice Wright and Jonathan Joseph. Now, Joseph is still great, and he can actually do some of the, He can close very well on some of those things, but he can't do it with the same gusto that he used to. So if you're creating short yardage spaces, you're creating potential yards after catch. You're creating potential yards after catch potential. Um, which again, I cannot, I can have a problem with because that's moving the chains consistently. Whereas you're protecting against, you're protecting against a low percentage opportunity. Whereas I would much rather take away short yards to those diagonals. And that's and that's the kind of whole general spiel I have about why the Texans are kind of six and three. The defense is kind of matured. It's it's not as a complete car wreck, even though they have lost most of their corners. The offense has progressed, and they played a combination of bad teams, but they also haven't been bad enough to get beaten by them. So it's a it's a weird conflict. It's a weird convergence of events where they just managed to stick it out and just like, okay, we're this is a, a good enough team to get to six and three in a on a on a schedule which has bad teams kind of littered across it. Across it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a, a good summarization. Uh, of it. I, I think it's kind of what you just said where, you know, they kind of start off slow. I think the New England game did affect them too. And then you go into an easier schedule where the quarterbacks aren't as good. The best quarterback they played since week three is Andrew Luck, you know, and that was Luck before he could throw the ball faster than, you know, 30 miles per hour. And then you have the easy schedule, the one possession wins. You have Bill O'Brien doing smart things in offense, which includes more, you know, play actions, more rollouts more deep throws, even though sometimes they completely stop doing it, uh, more chipping, which we'll talk about here in a second too. And then defensively, Cornell's done a really good job navigating his players, getting the younger guys more snaps than they should, utilizing, you know, Justin, or, uh, utilizing Justin Reed a whole lot more. And also Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt went from providing zero pass rush in the first three weeks of the season to being, you know, uh, probably the best, like, defensive end tandem that you can have in football even though I don't really think you can be a tandem if you're a defensive ends because you put on the opposite opposite side of the line of scrimmage but uh, I think you understand what I'm saying they're like on opposite ends of the okay corral you know and uh, <laughs> if you're in the center of it you don't want that to have happened though uh, for it but yeah I mean I think overall like it's good they've won six games there's a lot of fluke behind their six wins there's also a lot of fluke behind their 0-3 start but their 0-3 start there is 10 of their 6-0 and you know, recent run, their 0-3 start. There's reasons that you can point to, like, why this team was so dumb and losing and why this team is better now and winning. But, you know, overall, like, I think 6-3 and three is a fine record for them about what they should have, either 6-3 and three and 5-4. and four. 
uh, is probably about where they should be at. If you're like super optimistic, you should say, well, this team should probably be, you know, seven and one because they should have won these six games. They should probably, they should be the ties. They should beat the giants. They're better than those two teams. They never beat new England, but uh, you know, that's, those are two different things. So I think they're about rise where they should be uh, probably. I kind of lean more. They should probably be five and four than six and three based on how they played this year. But you know, it's kind of splitting hairs at that point. And regardless, they're, you know, AFC mm-hmm. South leaders at the moment. And, you know, I think that there's no way they don't make the playoffs this year either. Yeah. It's, uh, like, again, I could kind of see five and four considering that they game and just how close that was. Also, the last game. Just, like, again, with the weird convert, like the weird um, combination of just bad quarterback plays, the Texans have got really lucky in terms of the head coaches that they faced. Like it's it's been it's been a real like from I think it was Frank Reich uh, in Indianapolis to Vance Joseph in Denver. There have been some there there have been some bizarre play calls on this on the other side, which has been a you know it's been a welcome uh, it's been a welcome uh, difference to to watch. But just those those like the certain the certain kind of things of just like we can't take these wins out of con- or sorry, we can't take these wins as just a complete mandate or sorry, a complete referendum on the fact that yeah, this team's good. Mm-hmm. Context, the context has got to be applied here and we've got to be apt in it. Uh, like this team, like, as we kind of look, just prognosticate going forward, that this team could very well end up winning 10 games this season. And yeah. that, like, Again, half of those, or sorry, more than half of those, those wins might be one-score games. And again, we might be back at, uh, was it two years ago? Yeah, it was, it was two years ago when a lot of the wins, where I think it was the 9-7 and seven season, um, where it was a lot of one-score one games, we got to the playoffs, and it was like, okay, we're plucky, we think we can do this, let's just hope we get the Bengals in the wild card round, otherwise we're screwed. And they said they had Matt McGloin, and that was the year they went eight and four in one score games. Oh yeah, that was the Connor Cook year. Yeah, no, yeah, it was, it was Matt McGloin, Connor Cook. They went eight and four one score games. Then the defense has probably the best defensive game they've ever played against New England in New England. They create all that interior pressure, all that inter- interior pressure. AJ Boye picked off Tom Brady, and like they should have won that game if anybody, if Matt Moore was their quarterback, they would have won that game. And instead, oh, they had yeah, good old neighbors acted. So the, was, sorry, no, that was, I'm just, I'm just, rem- I'm just having a horrible, horrible flashback to Will Fuller dropping that uh, touchdown pass from Marcos. I mean, yeah. redacted. Yeah, and that was the one play, like the one pass he hit, and that had to been caught. That had yeah. to be caught for them to win that game. It wasn't. Oh. And they also gave up a return touchdown, and then another return that took them all the way to the 25. And then Bill O'Brien kicked a field goal at four, like fourth and four from New England's own like 17-yard line, that Houston never got that close for the rest of the game either. Just all around, like, it was just a – it wasn't a talent issue. It was just a – kind of like an incompetence issue uh, yeah. the entire game. I'm, that one. I'm, just, I'm just getting horrible, horrible, and just beautiful flashbacks at the same time. I just remember after I think it was the kickoff return touchdown, I managed to – I think the camera cut to – I think it was a special teams coach who was Larry – I can't remember what was his name. Is, I'd say, his second name was Izzo. yeah. And I just, just the face of him just going like, oh. Like, it cuts to him just as he's about to say, oh, F word. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, I, I was so happy that I managed to catch that. But just that image and, like, that looping gif in my head is just, 
it's it's, it's what I'm ever forever going to remember from that game. It's just no. Yeah. Uh, so you're talking about the offense a little bit, and before I ask you about Deshaun Watson, let's talk a little bit about uh, the chipping they've done. And so it became a really apparent, like week one against the Patriots, that they're going to have trouble pass blocking because the Patriots don't have that good of an edge rush. They're mediocre, but they really were kind of all over Watson that game. The times were especially, but the times also got a bunch of free rushers against five wide receiver sets with nobody even in the backfield at all. And they you know, hit uh, Watson. I think they was sacked Watson like five times or so that game. And so at that point, you're like, they need to do something. Like Derek Morgan, Harold Landry, and Brian Rockpo aren't that good. They need to help out their tackles on the edge. Julian Davenport should not be playing right tackle. He should be playing left tackle. Uh, they're wasting everybody's time by doing these sorts of things. And that was week two. And then it took, you know, a month after that, five weeks after that. And now the offensive line is doing what they should be doing and the schemes do what they should be doing. Or Davenport's playing left tackle. Uh, Kendall Lamb has gone from completely unplayable and being one of the worst offensive tackles I've ever seen to being like pretty uh, solidly unspectacular, which is saying so much. And I'm super proud of him and everything he's accomplished to go from what he was last year and years previously. Like even as a sixth offensive lineman blowing you know, 12 blocks a game and getting caught with four holding penalties to being a you know, pretty okay player right now has been super awesome to watch. And also Brian's been helping out their tackles a lot by you know, running split shotgun sets with Lamar Miller and Alfred Blue and helping chip. Uh, Jordan Thomas is doing a really good job chipping. Even Ryan Griffin got on some chipping last weekend, which I never thought I'd see. Like he actually hit a guy off the line of scrimmage, which was unbelievable. And, but these are like things that should take in, should have happened in week two. It took O'Brien, you know, five weeks for them to become main parts of the offense. And so there's no, like, now that we're here, it's great. It should have happened sooner and it's kind of whatever. But it's just kind of like another example of, you know, why, like, you know, you, there's so many frustrations that we have, we have to have with O'Brien, regardless of the team's win loss record is immediately. Uh, so, Luke, now that you saw this happen and have been kind of enjoyed watching the chips and these sorts of things, do you have any, any reason why it didn't happen sooner? Did they want to, like, stay with more spread concepts because that's the offense O'Brien wanted to run and that was the best offense for Watson? Or is just something that, you know, they just kind of didn't see and it took them a little bit longer to realize than, than it should have? I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Um, the pass attempts from the first five games would lead me to believe Okay, this, I think O'Brien wanted this to be a very quick, very short passing offense, um, which kind of moved the ball just like very slowly, very incrementally. Essentially what it used to be in the New England system, which was and cuts. And then the reality set in, uh, and I think alongside that was the, okay, we've got a new offensive line. We've got a new, we've got two new interior guards. We've got a tackle who was looking sort of promising last year. Um, we can we can put him out there and let him let him play. See if there's any progression, and we've got a new right tackle also. So there's no guarantee that things aren't going to be terrible. And I think it's that there's no guarantee. And he took that as okay. Let's try and see where this goes. And that got to around about game three or four, and Deshaun Watson's broken ribs before he was like, okay, this isn't sustainable. We can't keep doing this. We've got to kind of readjust. That being said, there was a huge amount of over, overhaul in the offensive line the first few weeks. Players were either getting injured or just getting switched around, or like you had the weird Martinez Rankins, Julian Davenport, uh, whose, whose tackle side is it anyway? 
um, kind of thing where one was playing on the left, the other was playing on the right, then one was playing on the left, the other was playing on the right. Uh, Central Henderson, uh, <laughs> um, rip him. Uh, he he lasted, what was it, two, three snaps into the season before uh, he suffered a tour in AC. I he broke his ankle. Um, yeah, yeah, torn his ankle, um, which is you know, completely different. Um, and then you had, like I said, Kendall Lamb coming in and actually being quite good. Uh, one of the, one of the things which I was kind of struck by watching uh, the Denver tape this weekend was uh, from sorry from last weekend was yeah, Kendall Lamb's actually made some pro- some progress. He's not um, completely abhorrent, um, and sometimes 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 with offensive line, I feel. An offense can kind of scheme around them. You can create passing opportunities. You can bring in stuff like chips. You can bring in stuff like heel. Um, of course, you can have additional blockers in there to kind of buy them a little bit of extra time, um, and that can and that can kind of help them. And essentially, an offensive line can co can operate on just being okay. Um, I remember, I think it was an, uh, NFL.com's Daniel Jeremiah, who was a former scout with Ravens. Um, he was telling this anecdote about. How when they were in the Raven when they were in the Ravens draft room, they would always get a noise ask whichever offensive lineman the Colts would take because they'd take them in like the fifth or sixth round and they would go into the Colts system, which was super quick passing, Peyton Manning's getting the ball, getting the ball out in like two or three like one or two seconds, essentially allowing no pressure to ever occur. And he was essentially turning these offensive linemen who we don't know what they would be like in any other system into all pros because they were just pass protecting for like one or two seconds and they were allowing any pressure. But that kind of that kind of thing of just like you can kind of scheme this stuff around an offensive line is very much like a situational kind of thing. You can create different situations which can benefit them. Now I'm I'm gonna gonna go into the Denver game in particular because this is the one that I'm most familiar with and I'm I'm writing about it right now. What what the kind of obvious thing that any team should do against Houston is blitz. Five on five, the Texans' offensive line is not good. It will it will crumble. They're not good enough that they can hold on forever and ever. Especially if you have two really really good. If say if you have a Von Miller on one side, you need to chip against Von Miller. So that takes an additional person to do that, and it takes away the it takes away what the offense can do as a whole in terms of composition, in terms of play calling. Think like think about it in terms of how many how many wide receivers am I taking away from the retro? Now, last year during Watson's really uh, really like prominent run, the Texans were taking everyone and just put it in like say like seven eight man protections and just letting Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins run routes, which worked perfectly well because Fuller was a force. Fuller's speed was a force multiplier. It required multiple different defenders to kind of be aware of the fact that. Okay, I have to cover from him to here, from here to here, and then the safety has to kind of bracket him over the top. Otherwise, he's just going to blow straight passes, and that's the kind of thing. But when you take force multipliers like Fuller's speed or his uh, route running and stuff like that away from the game, you kind of have to reorientate yourself towards something a little bit more viable. Mm-hmm. So what the, what the chipping and what the additional blockers have kind of done has allowed the Texans to kind of create a little bit more. Time for Watson, which is what he needs. It's re- it's really fun to watch as a whole, and actually, this is this is another key fact of what I think has helped Texans as a whole. If you're creating, if you're taking tight ends out of inline position, if you're putting them like a little bit off, off to the right or to the left, 
you can still have them chip in at the sides and still like if you're playing against a seven tech rusher you can still have them attack them from the side and knock off their momentum and balance which is what they did a lot in the Denver and is really really interesting to watch because both Chubb and Miller at like midway through about around third or fourth quarter after they had taken a couple of like massive hits from the side from the side by both Jordan Thomas, Jordan Atkins, and Ryan, even Ryan Griffin, was the fact that they they, they didn't attack the edge and they didn't attack mm-hmm. their um, their block with the same ferocity because they were expecting somebody to come in and wham them from the side. Go back and watch um, DeAndre Hop- or sorry DeAndre Hopkins touchdown, and you'll see Von Miller gets absolutely blindsided by by Jordan Thomas. And this was the kind of thing that they had in their back of their minds for the rest of the game was just like. Oh, am I going to get chipped here? Am I going to get blown off the side? Like these kind of things, they're small. They're small incremental things, but they help the offense. They help the offensive line as a whole just create a better environment for them to succeed. Like, and that's what that's what the chipping, that's what the additional blockers has been. It's not been just like, hey, listen, we're gonna we're gonna leave you out on an island against four pass rushers who are probably gonna be better than you, and just hope you do good. It's going to be like, okay, we're going to try and help you whatever way you can. And again, it's like, it helps in terms of confidence things also. If, you're, if your offensive line is just getting roasted play after play after play, he's going, to get, he's going to get demotivated. So helping them in that sense, it also kind of just builds a little bit of confidence, builds that, okay, on that one or two, one or two plays that we're going to run five wide sets, okay, we're going to, let, we're going to trust you to do this. They, like, we're going to trust you to be able to block for three to four seconds while we have to Hopkins run a quick slot or a quick curl, which is what they usually do when they run five white sets. They'll have Hopkins in the slot, and they will run just a very, very quick red that requires two or three seconds of Deshaun Watson reading it and the pass comes in. That's a bit But it, in the, the other part of that, too, is that they're taking players out of the box, which helps, which helps massively in the running. If you're only running against seven every single time, that's great. You can kind of help them scheme towards that. If you're run, if you're bringing inline tight ends um, and stacking them up in like three tight end sets along the line, you're drawing safeties down into the box and you're making it harder for yourself. Or sorry, you're making it harder on yourself to run the football, which is I think something that the Texans should probably slide away from a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the one thing I want to add too about the importance of chipping, you're talking about where Bob Miller and Bradley Chubb they stop edge rushing is that one, it also elongates the block. So whenever you have a chip there, even if you're not bashing his ribs and knocking him down, you're allowing the tackle to sit and wait for the edge rusher. They're not having to hurry up. They're not turning their shoulders. They're not opening up the gate and allowing the, you know, the edge rusher to get around him at all. They're the ones being sent to the punch now, and they're the ones intercepting the rush. It's kind of like a basketball player guarding the rim you don't want him playing one-on-one against the point guard driving in. You want him guarding the rim as standing there waiting for him, not you know playing one-on-one with him off the dribble. And then the second thing it does too is like you mentioned, it removes the edge rush and they become one-dimensional where they're just waiting for inside rushes and bull rushes and those sorts of things. And it's so much easier as a pass blocker whenever you have to only deal with one thing rather than two or three things. And so they just are able to you know take a shorter pass set wait for the inside rush. And as long as they don't give up anything or any blitzes or stunts, they're going to be okay. And I think the, one of the other important things you said too that I really liked was just the demoralizing factor of getting beat over and over again you know, by the tackles on the edges. And like if you're a tackle like in, the profes- in professional football, you've played a lot of football before. You know how football works. You're like, if you're getting beat by you know, 
like Trent, like if you're getting beat by Jerry Hughes over and over again, and you're Julian Davenport, Davenport knows that Bill O'Brien can help him out with the running back or a tight end or do something to help him out there. And like when your coach isn't helping you out whenever you're struggling, I think it's also like really demoralizing and it hurts your confidence and it sucks to just go out there and keep getting beat over and over again without being reciprocated with it all without any help whatsoever. And so since O'Brien's doing that, I think also by winning some pass blocks and making things easier, it's also helped the confidence of Lamb and Davenport. And Davenport just looks like he's moving a lot better too. And so it's been like, it doesn't, it's not as heartbreaking anymore to watch the Texans offensive line. Cause I was miserable like week three and four. Like I wanted to cry every time I watched Davenport get <laughs> beat, you know, he's, he's my, he's my, uh, my, I don't know. He's like a, I don't know. He's my. He's like a hipster. You know, I saw him first, sort of love. Uh, so yeah. know, I'm excited. I've been excited watching him play. It's been a lot better now than it was the first few weeks. Yeah, he still gives up his chest. Like I can't believe. Like he just has no. Like, re- like one interesting thing about Bradley Chubb that like, I noticed um, from watching a couple games was he he attacks the outside shoulder really really strong. And he'll look to just do plant one arm, one arm in your chest, and essentially just run you around. Davenport just his hands are really, really interesting. Whereas Kendall Lamb on the other side tries to get a really good punch in every single time. He's he's aggressive like that. Davenport will just essentially try and widen his stance as much as what like as wide as possible, and just try and like steer the like be be an obstacle, be an obstruction to the pass rusher. Which again, that's that's kind of his job. He, but he does it in such a weird way that I haven't seen before. Like yeah. he'll, he'll be just like, yeah, I'm gonna give up my center of gravity, but I don't care. Okay, I'm just gonna plant my foot. Be as like be a sumo wrestler. That's all he's attempting to do, and it's really really funny to watch. Again, he's like this shopping cart whenever you go down the same aisle in the grocery store. Yeah, it's 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 just like oh god, I have to try and get around this. He's an it's a nuisance, and like. If an offensive lineman is a nuisance, I'd say he's doing his job. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're, we got super in-depth uh, with, with this kind of part of the show. So I guess do you have any other, like, big Texans thoughts that you want to say? Like, do you feel strongly about, you know, Tyron Matthew and Kareem Jackson? Uh, do you have any, like, tears of running down your face and Alpha Blue gets to carry? Uh, is there anything else specifically you want to talk about Texans before we go through some of these, you know, silly little awards that I have here? So, I mean, there are a couple of things which I can think of, kind of, just, just, just like random kind of notice things that I've noticed over the past few weeks. I do think Bill O'Brien's trying to slim down the amount of passing attempts that Deshaun Watts is going to have game to game. Mm-hmm. I do think, it's, I think, ideally, I don't think he wants him to throw the ball more than thirty times. I don't think he wants to react to what week one, two, and three were, which were. Okay, spread offense. Let's try and th- let's try and throw this forty times. I don't think he's going to do that. I also what what really interests me too is that if you're looking to create easier, like high percentage looks for your offense, one of the best ways that we've seen to do that in the NFL right now, in particular, is give the ball to your running back in the passing game. And the Texans just haven't done that. Here's here's the thing: the Texans between. Uh, Lamar Miller, Alfred Blue, and Tyler Irvin, God rest his soul. Um, all three of them have 38 targets total. That's ridiculously, or sorry, that's really, really low for a running back in a modern NFL offense, or what it has been essentially for this year. 
the idea of essentially Lamar Miller, where it's like, this guy is really, really good when you put him in space. So why wouldn't you look to try and get him outside of tackles and get him involved in the passing game a little bit more? It's been one of those kind of weird things where these are easy, easily generated throws that look that Sean Watson gets, which you can kind of integrate into the offense and essentially create yards after catch possibilities. And those are easy enough yards for you to create. Right? It's just a simple screen pass or just pass into the flash. It's a way in which you can actually move the ball and get your quarterback easy completions. Look at what the Jacksonville Jaguars did with Blake Bortles and TJ Yeldon. Really, really simple throws, high, high, or sorry, high possibility or sorry, high potential to get more errors. So it's just a small, simple thing like that, which could, could be seen to help improve the offense. In terms of looking at like a larger... Um, I kind of like want to switch over to defense a, l- a little bit here. Um, looking at the larger meta structure, the larger kind of structure of the defense as a whole, they're still running cover four, which, again, I don't think is the best coverage scheme in the world. I don't think the corners are really the best to do it. Um, yeah, there are certain kind of things which work, which really work well. I think Tyra Matthew has actually been a great, great improvement over the... Um, Five-headed Camara that was KJ Dillon, Curtis Drummond, Eddie Pleasant, Corey Moore, and Marcus Gilchrist. Um, it's it's depressing that I know all the names of the of the safeties that played for the Texans last season. Um, all five of those were garbage. Um, I don't think I'm really burning the hot take there if I, by saying that Matthew as a whole is actually really really quite good. He doesn't get fooled on really really simple stuff. He's very athletic, so he can push down, cover into it, cover um, any slot receivers if you want to disguise him and his own look. He's, he's got some really, really good placements, or sorry, he's got really, really good positioning, and he can actually bracket receivers pretty well without just getting straight up burned. Those things are minor, but if they're done well, yeah, the Texans defense actually looks better because of it. Um, I think I, I, I kind of said this earlier. Um, the deep pass rate, the deep pass rating for the Texans is really quite good, and Tyron Matthew has a big part to do with that. Also, the fact that yeah, he's a really versatile blitzer, and he can come down into the box, and that he can blitz on occasion. He's done quite well. He's gotten two sacks. Um, he's a solid tackler. Also, he's not Kareem Jackson. Oh my goodness, how is a guy of this size this good at tackling? Um, but he is—he's competent to a to a degree that you know is is helpful. It's uh, like. Sometimes it's just about not being a net negative. It's not, it's about being not something not something that is an active detriment to the team. And Byron Matthew is that. He's not an active detriment to the team, and in a couple of cases, he's actually positive. Whether like if you if you want to really prognostic or sorry look down the road, the real question is: Is he good enough to get resigned over? Dorian Jackson, or is he good enough that you might want to cut Andre Hall? Absolutely difficult question because Justin Reed is definitely staying on the team. The Texans cannot cut any young talent off this team. They literally can't, especially in the secondary, where there's just nobody apart from now Justin Reed who is going to progress through anytime soon, unless, you know, Kevin Johnson suddenly regains the form that he has uh, during his first two seasons. But that's a, that's a, that's a different, it's a different kind of thing to talk about. Um, I think the Texans are probably going to keep Kareem Jackson around. Obviously, because he has just been ridiculously good this season. Um, it, like having him, having him play the slot corner or the safety, where 
you know, it's completely like its own in cover four, where you would have like the three short so three short zones and the four deep zones. He is just really, really good at covering those uh, that outside third zone really, really well. He's very, he's he's a corner essentially, so he can just flip in and out of that very, very fast. He's a solid backer, so that if a receiver does catch the ball three or two uh, off like three three yard reception. There is no chance of the yards of the catch because Kareem Jackson is tackling them. They are going to. There is no if ands, or buts. He is just making sure that they are not in any yards of the catch. So that's really, really cool. Um, Texas pass rush has been um, a little bit interesting solely because the fact that this is actually going to be our first strong sample size of what J.J. Watt and J.J. Clem kind of do together. Um, it's, it's been interesting watching again those first couple of weeks were terrifying a little bit but just because nothing was happening um, as a whole. And I think they've kind of regained their mojo and there's a very much a very a really interesting kind of coherency here that's going on with them. In particular, I don't think what sorry, what Romeo Cornell is doing with Clowney in particular is really interesting. Clowney's most successful rushes are coming now on the interior. This is what Romeo Cornell's always been really good at doing is that generating interior pressure, I'm going to lie in, I'm going to line up Jeremy Clowney and Whitney Merciless over, over some guards. And, you know, the guards who are just not, not that fast or not that agile are just being asked to stop guys who are really, really quick and have really, really quick hands. And that usually doesn't end well. I mean, the Clowney sack that he had against Denver was essentially just one power, one pack, he like steps strongly off of his right hand side, swims pretty much over the left guard, center doesn't close fast enough, and Clowney just barrels straight through. And that's, sometimes that's all it is. Clowney's a real, he's a freak of nature. He's fast, he's quick. Just like, use that against guys who are just large and slow. And that's all, we, all you have to do in some of those. Uh, Whitney Merciless is a little bit concerning. Um, I will say he's creating disruption, but not production. Um, there have, I've noticed a couple of good instances of him getting into backfield or just even a holding the edge on a rush where he's not the one to finish the play, but somebody, but he's the one that's actually holding in place for crowds. The production, I hope, will come somewhere along the next season. It has been picking up slightly over the past couple of weeks. But as a whole, it's nothing really to be super concerned about. Now, when we go to like the off season and we start to look back over this and whether or not, because I think what Lisa Marcellus might become a trade candidate, uh, I think we could look back at this season and if he hasn't had the same kind of production, I think there could be. I think we could have questions of just like, is he really worth it? Could we kind of rebuild or could we just switch to a four three? Just have Watt County on the edges, put Dylan Cole, Dylan have Dylan Cole return and have. A McKinney, Cunningham, and Cole linebacker core. And just merciless is kind of superfluous. Let's try and see if we can flip him for a draft pick or if we can flip him for some second. That wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, and then even maybe run like an over front with that reader playing the three technique there too and two gapping. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there, there are a couple of things that you could do, but it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of about just measuring what you've got right now. Um, what else? Uh, we're going to have Dante Foreman coming back in a couple of weeks, which is going to be super, super interesting, mostly because it stops Alfred Blue having carries. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that with furious, while furiously crossing most of my appendages. <laughs> um, one of the really, really fun things about Alfred Blue rowing this season has been he's, he's, gone from, he's gone from treating every run like 
the four yard mark is his heroin. And as soon as he gets the ball, he needs his fix to being very, it's a really, really interesting. He's gone to almost like Le'Veon Bell style, super upright. So he's trying to read the entire offensive line in front of him and he's stuttering and stopping and trying to pick a hole and then burst through it. But he doesn't have the burst. <laughs> like there were a couple of real weird instances where he would like stop, stutter, kind of just rock and just appear on the other side of the line. Like he'd get past the first level and he'd be just like, how do you do that? And then you'd just be like, you just get smashed straight afterwards by a linebacker because he just couldn't outrun. Like they would, they would make the first level blocks, but before any of them could get to the second level and like seal off the blocks or any of the support could come in, he would just get to the second level and just like, well, I don't have the speed to run away from anyone else. So this is, well, it looks like we're getting seven yards instead of four now, guys. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, but at the same time, it's not consistent. It, like, that's, one, that's one instance where it happens, but it's not every time it happens. Because, you know, you sometimes do just need to be a blunt force. Subject, and, you know, getting three or four yards is kind of, that's, that's kind of his deal. Um, I applaud him for trying to diversify his running style, but uh, I don't think it's, it's, it's going to be lasting. And uh, that's, that's, that's about it. I, I mean... It, it sucks that Will Fuller's gone because he he really changes what the offense does and how it looks on snap snap basis. I'm going to be very interested to see what they do with Demarius Thomas. Um, I have no idea what 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 the touch um, what the touch or kind of touch distribution is going to be like because during the couple of weeks in which Mickey Kuti was a big part of our offense, Will Fuller's targets just absolutely tanked like he was he had an average of I think maybe two or three targets per game it was really really it was really really low and you were just like okay what's going on here so it's going to be interesting to see is that secondary outside receiver going to get that second treatment and is Kuti and Hopkins going to kind of be the primary focus of the offense just because either the matchups are kind of beneficial towards those two or you know, Hopkins is just really talented and we're just going to throw him the ball just because you know he's eventually just going to make some plays and get you garbage. So, like, that's going to be one of the things which I also want to look out for is just what's Demarius Thomas's usage number is going to be like? What's he going to be doing on a snap-to-snap basis? Is he going to be doing the uh, Nate Tom- or sorry, Nate Washington Memorial? Hey, just run a go-around. What's the worst thing? Um, so similarly speaking, if you also want, if you also want to have uh, some fun during Texans games, watch whatever happens when why, when running backs get put out wide. Specifically, if it, it sometimes sometimes the Texans do this in motion, which is to kind of help help uh, Deshaun Watson get a better recognition of what kind of coverage scheme the defense is playing. I.e., if a, where a DB or a safety comes down as the box to kind of trap the running back as he's going out, it might be a good indication of man. If no one's following you out there, okay, it's an indication as well. Occasionally, what the Texans will do, what Bill O'Brien does, is he'll put Lamar Miller out to the perimeter on like the next receiver, and they'll ask him to run a go route. And I've like he they they never targeted him on this route, and I cannot figure out why they keep doing it. It's really really interesting, and I'm wondering if any defenses are just picking up on it. It's just like they're not going to throw to him. Should we even bother covering him? Like it's a real it's a real kind of interesting thing to like just. Something completely random, something that doesn't really make sense to me, or I don't have a reason why it happens. I find it amusing, nonetheless, because it's just it's it's one of those whimsically uh, useless things that Bill O'Brien kind of does every now and then. 
Um, that's about that's about that's about it. Um, that's my kind of general take on what I'm going to see. Yeah, yeah, that was all. That was really good. I know, like a lot of the stuff too. You know, watching the video, you get to see kind of like a little bit more of the the general inside details, like the Alpha Blue stuff. Like I haven't watched an Alpha Blue all twenty two carry and thought anything of it at all. But you know, whenever you watch this stuff with kind of clear eyes and really sit down, focus into it, you can have an idea of him trying to do his best Le'Veon Bell impersonation. It kind of reminds me of like somebody playing pickup basketball. He tries to like you know do the Dirk Nowitzki shot of one foot, but has no touch shot whatsoever, and just clangs it off the backboard over and over again. That's kind of like yeah, just, uh, Alfred Blue trying to do the Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, just furiously screaming, "Ball no, ball don't lie!" Well, whilst he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, that that was cool. It was interesting because I know like with how busy you've been, like a lot of your texts and stuff is always interesting. I always enjoy hearing about it, but how busy you've been, it's been hard to put all into words and sit there and write something like really big and uh, important and all that. But you can, you know, it's a lot easier to talk to. And that's the one thing that's kind of made me upset about doing these podcasts is that like doing a podcast is so much easier than talk than writing. Like writing is so much better and fulfilling and more interesting. And, uh, and like you better understand something after you do it. But like sitting here on this green couch in this green chair and like talking and listening to what you have to say is just so much easier with the same information coming into it, but without all the work, you know? Yeah. Uh, again, I can, I, I kind of confer with that also. Like you, you don't, you don't get the same kind of background and you don't get the same kind of knowledge that you get from writing and from sitting down and from just watching it. You don't get to enjoy all the weird intricacies or the, just the minute details that just make you kind of happy. Um, but at the same, but at the same time, I think there's, it's oftentimes very restricting and just being able to kind of splurge it all out there and just being able to kind of verbally, uh, verbally, get, verbally, like, uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? <laughs> uh, just get, just essentially to get it all out. Yeah, just to, to undam the river of Texans thoughts and takes that um, has, 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 been, has been nice. Um, I, I, I am getting back into writing. I have something, something coming in tomorrow about Texans offensive line, uh, which is going to be my kind of first thing. And then we're going to hopefully try and do a little bit of incremental more work over the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah, and I know, like, on, on my end, you know, I went to Las Vegas, and I came back, and I got sick. And then I uh, went out last Friday, this stupid hungover on Saturday, and couldn't ride, and I wanted to. And then this week, my dog ate a bottle of Advil, so I had to go to the puppy hospital and couldn't write the thing I wanted to write. And then now I'm doing these podcasts tonight, so it's always a vicious battle. It's hard whenever you become an adult, you don't have as much free time to to sit there and you know, watch Texas all 22 minutes sort of thing. But, you know, we manage, we manage as best we can. Yes, these, 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 are, these are our battles and we wage a vicious war. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, someone asked me the other day, like, you know, what do you, what do you think it's about being an adult? One of the things that makes me sick when somebody's like, oh, I came an adult today. I hate being an adult. Like if somebody says they miss, his high, they miss high school, I just want to throw them off a cliff, you know, that stuff sucks. But, uh, you know, being an adult is cool and, like, you're just kind of firmly in it, you know, and it doesn't end until you retire. And then when you retire, you die. And it's, But at the same time, like, this is nice because I have a bunch of free time and live two different lives. So I go to work and leave work and I have, like, you know, a ton of free time my off time. 
and like you're just kind of firmly in it you know you don't really even think about uh everything else you just you just kind of get in a groove and you're in it and you're just in it forever you know yeah no that, that, that's one of the things especially especially with like working full-time like i did like i did last year you you become just like comfortably numb in the in the position it's just like oh this 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 is nice i could kind of get used to this and then you're just like for for me i i'm always i'm always at the mindset that i kind of need to i kind of need to keep doing stuff i yeah. can't like, i can't sit still i'm just it's it's one of those things where if my brain stopped for a second i'm just like really really antsy like i can i kind of need to exhaust myself before i can relax um it's, it's, it's also why whenever I go on holidays, it's usually just, you know, I'm going to go hike today, I'm going to go, like, for, going to go swimming, I'm going to do something to tire myself, but that way I can just kind of like, lay by a beach somewhere and just like, slowly turn around. Um, that's, that's the kind of way in which I operate. But just kind of, kind of getting out of those things and just getting, it, getting out of the day-to-day monotony and trying to... Trying to, trying to find time and trying to real, realize it's just like, okay, am I going to have time to do this this week? Or am I going to have time to go to the gym? Am I going to have time to work out? Am I going to be able to, you know, do, do some cooking and do some, actually make myself a nice meal instead of, you know, getting out of work and just being like, oh, just feed me sustenance so I don't die. Like, <laughs> like those, 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 kind of, those kind of small things. Uh, if, you can, if you can work them in, then it's, then it's worth it. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Yeah, I think the the way I kind of describe it now for me is just being like comfortably bored whenever I'm at work and stuff. But it's as soon as I leave work, I button I button my shirt like four buttons down. I'm ready to party because I'm going back home and do whatever I can do and think I want to do. Oh hell but, yeah! yeah first this, first that's thing the, that's the best thing to do. It's just like as soon as you leave work or with school or whatever, just bu- unbutton that shirt like four buttons and you know become a different. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like no, I wear I like I wore a tie, and it was just like first thing I do is I like get this damn noose off of me, yeah. just, like, just throw it into the bag. It's like I'm done, not doing this for the rest of the day. My neck needs to breathe. Let it breathe. It's kind of the opposite, like the Batman signal, where like the signal comes on, puts the suit on, and <laughs> now it's like you see the sun, you feel the sunlight, and you take the suit off. You know. Yeah, it's just like no, I need I need to be naked, and I need to be naked now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, though. And I, the other thing I wanted to say, because I don't think we won't have enough time to go over the awards. We're already at about an hour right now, and so we can do mm-hmm. that for another week or you know a different show. But the one thing I want to say, I talked to talked to BFD about yesterday too, was just how much I've enjoyed football this year. Because like, I was horrified. I wasn't looking forward to it at all. I was dreading the season starting just from all the rules that were made about contact the constant, you know, discussion about everything aside from football, different owners being terrible people, different players being terrible people, uh, some of the decisions, you know, Houston made as well too, and just like the constant just drag of it all. And also I was just super enjoying, you know, reading books by Joe Renane and just thinking about like, you know, take the color, this color water made me think about taking a bath as a child and that sort of thing. And so I was really enjoying like being super, you know, literary in that mindset I was looking forward to this year at all. And then like these past three weeks, now that defenses are kind of caught up, now that people can tackle well, now that they're used to the new speed of offenses and we're seeing a lot more, you know, 28, 21 games instead of everything being, you know, 35, you know, 27. And games are actually more well play, more managed. They mean things. You now there's not as many touchdowns. Like I really have, have loved watching football. 
these past few weeks. And I think it's the most I've enjoyed watching the league as a whole, I think, in my, my entire life. Because before, the NFL was like supplementary to the Texans, you know. And then now it's kind of the Texans <laughs> are supplementary to the NFL just because there's so many – there's like seven really, great, seven really great teams that you can watch and, you know, have a, a blast watching. And the Texans are just kind of like that family member. It's like going, it's like going to like your family dinner like at six o'clock, but Friday and Saturday nights where you really enjoyed your weekend. And then Sunday, you know, you're just doing this thing because you always do it. And so I've just really enjoyed these offenses have done, how the defenses are now catching up a little bit and uh, just how much like, and how quick the game has changed too. Uh, but this year has been a lot of fun in the last three or four weeks or so, especially. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of agree, agree with that too like a good few degrees in that there are just there's so many interesting players out there there's so many players that like we haven't seen in a long time or we haven't seen their kind or just we haven't seen the way in which they've been utilized and as a whole it's it's very rewarding to see offenses offenses in general like ones run in kansas city the ones run in philadelphia the ones run in los angeles that make a lot of sense it's it's like it's just some like maybe it's just I've been conditioned by watching Bill O'Brien too much and it's just like why does this dumb thing happen oh it's, it's it it just happens you know we don't we can't explain why it just does it's nice to see it's like someone actually think about okay what's the best formation that I can run here that best augments my running back and I have three really good wide receivers let's try and do something there yeah let's run three wide sets let's not cram up the box. Let's have an extra tight end there that can help with the blocking, act as a potential fullback, or, you know, chip and peel if we want to create extra protection. And then we have just three receivers running running routes the entire time. Like if we're attacking, say, a team that's playing cover three or cover four, okay, let's put up, uh, let's have, say, let's say if you're the Rams, let's have somebody who's going to attack a deep, uh, say, run a deep seam route and attack the uh, two, or sorry, right in between middle uh sorry the middle deep zone and say the right deep zone okay those two are drawn there let's run say cooper cup running a 10 yard out route underneath that that's creating space under that's creating space underneath there and it's putting cooper cup on a long line it's like it's just something really smart and really nice and really nice and kind of the word that just came into my head was wholesome there's just like wholesome, wholesome offenses just taking apart defense, which just sounds absolutely ridiculous in my head. Um, it's like I'm, tr- I'm trying to put it in, into words. For me, it's a ni- It's the nice mix of offenses as a whole just becoming really, really punctuated, and that's where I find the most interest is kind of in the offense. And then it's the kind of theory crafting that I've done by myself um, about what the, what's going to be the counter now. Because the NFL, if we've learned over the past couple of years, is just... Um, sorry, one second. Uh, so I'm, just, I'm just reading something about Le'Veon Bell here. Um, no, he's, he's, he's just... Um, one, of, one of the things which I was kind of thinking about was... Or sorry, like we saw with Seattle's defense, cover three... And how teams started to counteract that right that after the fact that they proven, okay, this is a really, really good system that kind of works well. It has a lot of unique individual players that augment it to, or sorry, really or sorry, make it a lot, lot better. Like say you can have cover three with press corners. That just doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Um, it's essentially just playing cover one. 
um, which, you know, would be crazy. But it works because you've got Richard Sherman and Brandon Browner who are jamming receivers off the line of scrimmage. It just, they stop them straight up. It works because you have Cam Chancellor who's essentially a linebacker safety hybrid. And this is one of the things which, like, I, I started crafting what I thought would be the best way to run a defense in a really pass-centric NFL, which to my mind, and you kind of touched on it when we were emailing like a couple of weeks back, was uh, something along the lines of 4 2 5 it's, it's, three safe, it's a three-safety look, but that third safety is something in the mix of a linebacker and a safety. It's something like a Cam Chancellor. A guy that you could potentially still put in the box, but on passing downs, you can just, okay, let's put him over Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski and just act, like ask him to cover. So, and like the way I kind of thought about it too is that maybe we're coming at this from the wrong, wrong point of like, Maybe at a, maybe this new rotation of NFL offense is actually sustainable. Maybe this is actually what the norm is going to be. Now defenses might adjust, but if their offenses are always going to kind of be one or two steps ahead. So why instead, in a, in a league that's increasing its passing attempts, why don't we start force? Why don't we start thinking about it in terms of instead of trying to stop somebody, let's try and create turnovers. Because if offense, so if the games are going to be 45-42 shootouts like it is in the Big 12. Why don't we just create those one or two extra possessions by focusing turnovers as much as possible so that we're our offense and try and go out there and score? Instead of trying to play almost in a, like an impossible game of just like, can we cover every, every receiver out here and every route and still be able to protect the run? Probably not. And off, like, Sean McVay is probably going to come up with a way to counter that. Friend, uh, Oh crap! What's the name of the Doug? Pe- Doug Peterson's probably going to come way able to come up with that. Um, you're going to have various various additional factors such as Kansas City with Harry Kittle. We have a way to counter this. Uh, not really. No one can cover him on deep routes. We can kind of bracket him, but then somebody else is going to get loose underneath. Mm-hmm. So you're going to concede somewhere. So why don't we just completely re- reshape the way that we think about this in terms of let's not try to stop 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 teams from scoring. Let's try to stop teams from having the ball and let's try and create extra possessions for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think a lot of it also is just being able to, like you were talking about the Rams and your three wide receiver sets. I think their offense works mainly because of Todd Gurley. And so they always have four wide receivers and also it's the same thing as the Kubiak step, but now it's like, rather than it just being one play leads to another play, it's what like seven plays lead to, you know, 35 different plays where you have the same personnel and same sort of formations, and then you run like your five or six different base plays, and then that leads to everything else. Everything looks alike. And if you have a defense, you know, each key doesn't matter because the next thing – because it can be an entirely different play off any step and off anything that occurs. And so, I I mean, I think defenses will keep – I don't know if it's really the defensive schemes that are going to adjust. It's just the defensive players can use the speed and tackling and hitting and all that. I think it's the biggest thing that has changed the past few weeks, but uh, I'm just glad in general, you know, that you two and like a lot of people I've talked to have just like really enjoyed football the past three weeks, especially with everything about how the game is dying and it's all going in. And maybe it is, maybe this is the, the last flicker before, you know, the inferno or whatever, but it's been fun <laughs> as hell the past few weeks. I mean, I mean like the, uh, the uber pessimist pseudo nihilist in me is going, yeah, if this game isn't sustainable, as is as is most um 
in contact sports like rugby, like American football. Uh, even you can argue ice hockey is uh, probably going to be going the way of the dinosaurs. That's a completely different discussion. Well, the, you know who's the interesting player though to watch is Luke Keekley nowadays because he's had you know five concussions. He had that awful one where he was you know crying on the field like confused. And now when you watch him play, he doesn't use his head at all at all when he plays anymore. He's constantly pushing guys out of bounds. He's grabbing guys and tossing them and throwing them. He doesn't really even tackle at all anymore. And so I think that's kind of – I know a lot of stuff that's been said about CTE is a lot of it's hereditary. So hopefully you can have like some sort of genetic test to understand if you have it or not. And if you have it, you, know, you can potentially still play these sorts of games, you just play different positions or play differently. And then also maybe if you have two concussions and want to keep playing football, you can do something like Luke Keekley has done this year where like everything is with his shoulder. He's constantly you know, twisting, grabbing, and throwing. He's not, come, he's not using his head whenever he hits you know, like guards who come up in the run game. He's using his speed a lot more. And so it's, like, it's really interesting to see like, a guy who's one hit away from his entire career being over to playing you know, nine games so far this year in an entirely different style and still being an incredible player without having as much physicality that he's had before in the past. Yeah, no. I as you were t- as you were talking about that, I just had just a, a weird flashback from I think it was the Bears Dolphins game that I was watching, and just the re- the memory I have of like Leonard Floyd suplexing a team Grant. I, I've got the gif of it somewhere on my other computer, and I'll send it to you after I'm done here. Um, it I just it kept coming back into my head of just like this guy, like it was one of the stupidest things you've ever seen on a football field, but he just freaking flings them around like he's. Like they're in a WWE match or something is really like, just yeah. stop laughing at it. Yeah, I saw that, and I really like watching Jakeem Grant play as well too. Like he's so fast. He's like you know he's like Terry Cohen, except probably not used as well as Cohen's used in Chicago. And so it's really exciting, you know, what they can do with uh, Grant, especially when Tannehill gets back and they have a guy who can throw the ball downfield to open up more of their shorter stuff. Oh yeah, he had he had this really really sexy um, like curl and go route, like essentially against, I think it was in the Bears game also, where he just absolutely roasted the DB. Like he just pivots pivots into a curl route and then turns his left shoulder as the DB crashes and just releases straight up field. Like it was, I, like I, I just started like giddily just like rocking back and forth. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's the shit. That's the shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> like it was so, so cool to watch. Like those, those are the kind of routes and those are the kind of moments which I'm just like, oh man, this is this is really really fun to just like go through at a time. Um, what was the, what was the, um, what was the player that I was looking at? Oh yeah, Ken Kenyon Drake. Sorry, I've been watching far too much Miami, so I'm and I'm plus I have Kenyon Drake on my fantasy team, so I'm super kind of obsessed with just holy shit, they need to give him more touches. He's, yeah. he's the, like, the one thing that I came away with from watching the Miami take, which is actually really, like, one of the things which I kind of came away with that was a better appreciation of what Bill O'Brien's kind of gone through the past couple of years in terms of, you, if you've got a shit quarterback, you have got to do, like, a lot, a lot of stuff in order to make them comfortable. And winning football games is so freaking difficult. Mm-hmm. Like, Gase was really, really smart in how he attacked a lot of the coverages, like, Against the Bears for running cover three, he was really, really smart in terms of he would stack three or like he would do three bunch, like bunch three on one side, draw some of the zones over to one side of the field, and then essentially 
ask linebackers to cover across the field against wide receivers who are running crossing routes. And every single time, the wide receiver's beating them over and over and over again. It's really, really smart plays to kind of like punch receivers and seam routes are how you beat cover three. And he just he knew this. Okay, we'll generate quick short throws where it'll be wide receiver and linebacker, and we can kind of just manifest our way through that. Or they'll do clear out routes. Will they have same kind of similar setup? Bunch three on one side, have two of them, like one of them running a post, one of them running an out, and one of them running a go. And all of that does is it clears all the zones out one side. You have a like Kenya Drake running a flat to one side, dump it off to him. He's got five to ten yards free room before the first tacklers can, you know, and that's just an easy first down right there. And it's simple, interesting stuff like that, which is kind of, which is kind of giving me an idea of just like, man, if this is what, if this is what like coaches do with quarterbacks, it's just like, what was Bill O'Brien doing? Like what, like this is, this is always the thing that I kind of, as, as a Texans fan, it always comes back to just, man, why can't we do that? If if it's not even your offensive philosophy, okay. But there are certain things here that are kind of pretty much universal across scheme. Creating space, um, being able to just generate good looks and being able to create like mismatches, which is what tight ends are usually using across a variety of different systems. But it's just those kind of things were never there. It was always just like, screw this. It's like, it's man-on-man coverage. We're just going to trust that DeAndre Hopkins can win 30 or 40 times a game on the curl ramp. Let's just keep doing that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Actually, I, I think it's a good point, too, because, you know, it is hard to win football games, and the overall record's inflated, and that sort of thing. And, and I just, I've, I've always kind of stuck with the fact that the Texans have been, you know, a, an above-average talent-wide team since, you know, probably 2008 or so. And one possession wins and bad luck have hurt them. Same thing with quarterback play and injuries. And, you know, with O'Brien's time, it was mainly the quarterback position. And last year it was injuries. But most of the quarterback position, I don't necessarily feel bad for him because he made a lot of the decisions that he made. He picked a lot of players. You know, he had say on a lot of players that were picked in those cases. He didn't use the draft capital whenever he had it. And, a lot of, and you know, a lot of that is entirely on him and his own, you know, uh, his own ego to not have to spend a lot on a quarterback and trying to get so much out of these specific guys that he likes, even if they don't have the talent or whatever, because he can coach them up. And it didn't work. It got him nine wins. And now with an actual, like, you know, really good quarterback who has talent, uh, the Texans are on their way for their, you know, the best season he's had as a coach the entire time. And so I think even, like, as much as we talk about scheme and all that stuff, the most important thing, obviously, is talent. And so if you have talent in football – like no matter like how hard it is to win games, those sorts of things. If you have talent, you can you know win nine games. I think you know I wouldn't say easily, but comfortably with just like some pretty good middle manage. Like being a middle manager at a Chili's, you can with that level of competency, and you have a, you have a high talented football team, you can win some games too at the same time. It's uh, it's the it's the don't be a liability. Mm-hmm. So that's. That's, that'll be our show for tonight. Uh, it didn't go like exactly how it plans, but you know, sometimes you just kind of, it's like playing the jazz flute, you know, you kind of go here and there and uh, everywhere. So I'm assuming Luke, are, are you going to have this piece tomorrow for the Texas offensive line ready for everybody to read? Uh, yes. And if not, assume I'm dead. Okay. And if not, there's always Monday too. the Texans are playing game this week. 
So if you have a break for Monday, everybody will be uh, able to read it then at that time too. But yeah, if you just want to send me an email, I can edit it uh, tonight probably after I go pick up the, the Advil dog. But anyway, thanks for listening to the show. Bye tonight. My name is Matt Weston. Thank you for being on tonight, Luke. No problems. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.